Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 sin has spread to all of us all of us have sin deep down within us that word spread means to pass down it's like passing down traits like hereditary traits that can be passed down there's a reason why i'm bald right? Because that was passed down to me genetically. And some Bible scholars, commentators actually believe that at the fall of Adam, that man's DNA, that our genetic code was altered. And now sin is passed down genetically through the bloodline. That's why the sin of alcoholism can be passed down. We suffer from things like heart disease or obesity or some mental illnesses. Some of these things can be traced to hereditary concerns. And so this is passed down from generation to generation. Well, Adam our great, 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 you can go on for a lot of times, our great, great grandfather passed this down to us, this sinfulness. And here, just as a sidebar, this is why it's really ridiculous for racism to exist. This is why the symptom of the sin in our hearts just makes no sense, because we can all trace our lineage back to Adam. We're all related, right? We're all related, but here it exists nonetheless. And some of you might be thinking, well, this is just not fair. Why should I have to suffer for the sins of Adam? Why should I have to suffer because Adam couldn't keep it together in the garden? Why should I have to suffer for his sins? Well, some Bible scholars, some theologians have termed this federal headship. In essence, what this means is that Adam was our representative. He went and he represented all of man in the garden. And if you think about it, he was the best that we had to offer at the time. That there was not yet sin in the heart of man. There wasn't a genetic alteration within Adam. He didn't struggle with the same temptations that you and I do, the same lust that you and I do. He was there dwelling in the garden, in the midst of the garden, in the midst of the cool of the day. God would come and walk with Adam in their garden. If anyone had the opportunity, if anyone should have been able to withstand the temptation of sin, it was Adam. And if Adam can't withstand that temptation, why do I think in my right mind that I could have done any better? See, that's what that federal headship means. It means that he represented man for all of mankind. And because he fell, we all fell with him. Let me put it to you this way. Let me show you this picture. This guy's name is Abdul Rashid Suleyev, and he's the world heavyweight freestyle champion. No one better than him in the world. Heavyweight, 214 pounds, uh, 5'11 is his height. Now, this would be like me saying, Adam, you know what? It's not fair that you fell. It's not fair that I'm suffering for the consequences of your sin. It's not fair because I wasn't there and I didn't have an opportunity, right? We as a country send our best to go compete against the best of the world. And it just so happens that this man is Russian and he beat our best. It would be like me saying this, you know what, it's not fair that they get to call themselves the best wrestlers in the world because they didn't beat me. How many of you think that I have an, even a, a chance 
to beat this guy. Again, he's 5'11", 214 pounds. He's been wrestling his whole life. I'm 5'8", 180 pounds, and I don't know a lick about wrestling. I will not stand a chance. And it's the same thing when we say, you know what, it's not fair for me to suffer for Adam's sin. No, Adam was our representative. Just like we sent a representative to wrestle the Russians, Adam was our representative, and he fell. And when he fell, we all fell. Here's what the scripture says. Look at this again. Death spread to all men because all sinned. We just have studied in the book of Romans that there's none of us that are righteous, not a single one of us. We just studied in the book of Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah has this incredible vision of God's glory. and He says, woe is me because I'm an unclean man when he sees the vision, the grandeur, the glory of God. Every single one of us has sinned. Do you realize you don't have to teach a child to sin? You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child to steal. You don't have to teach a child to do something behind your back. Because it was passed down to him. Where sin exists, death exists. And it's a terrible truth that we don't have to be taught how to sin. And where that sin exists, death is there. Death is at the door. Read on with me in this text in Romans chapter 5. It says in verse 13, For sin indeed was in the world before the law. Sin was there before the law was given. We see that being played out, fleshed out in the Garden of Eden. The temptation was there. The sin was there. Even though it was not expressly detailed what was right and wrong in the law, sin was there. It was lurking at our doors, right? Sin was existed before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. I can't really truly be pulled over for speeding if there are no signs posting the speed limit. I can't be punished for a law that really I don't know about, right? I can't be arrested for trespassing unless there's a sign that says no trespassing. Basically, what Paul is saying here is that where there was no law, the sin was not charged to their account, but there was still sin there. There was still sin that existed. Now, I want to pause just for a moment, and I want to pose this question to you. Understanding the issue that our culture has, that our world has, the disease that we've been stricken with, and that disease is sinfulness, Again, it's not COVID, it's not racism, it's not poverty, it's not unequal rights. Those are symptoms of the disease we're dealing with, which is sin. Knowing that that exists, what if we treated sin the way we've been instructed to treat COVID? First thing that you're instructed to do with COVID is to make sure you wear a face covering. That when you're out in public right now, everyone has to wear masks in order to try to cut down on the transmission. And we really, we use the masks to protect other people from getting sick, right? But what if we treated sin that way? The scripture says of God in Habakkuk chapter 1 that he is of purer eyes than to behold evil. That God cannot look upon sin. In Ezekiel chapter 14, it says this, Repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all of your abominations. Turn your faces away from sin. What if we covered our faces when sin was at our door? Many of you tonight, many of you last night, put the kids down to bed. And when the kids were down to bed, you watched something that you know you shouldn't be watching with your husband or with your wife or whatever it is. Things that really do not uplift your spirit. Things that actually draw you away from the presence of God. But you watched them anyway and you thought, you know what, the kids are down. This isn't really hurting or harming anyone if I watch this. But is that really the case? See, in our culture, there isn't shame towards sin like there used to be. We don't turn away at things that we should be turning away from. We don't cover our faces from things that we should be covering our faces from. 
If the eye really is the gateway to the soul, and Jesus said if your eye is bad, your whole body is bad. If your eye is full of darkness, your whole body is full of darkness. Jesus said this, that a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. The evil person out of evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Matthew chapter 12. If you're putting bad, negative, terrible things into your heart by what you watch, that's what's going to come out of you. Someone is getting harmed, and it's you. But we've become so desensitized to sin in our culture through media or through even the news by the things that we watch that we don't find shame in things that we should find shame in and turn our faces away. We need to start turning our faces from sin. The prophets, Jeremiah the prophet was grieved. He wept when people would not turn away from their sin. Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem, he wept because people were in sin and they refused to confess him as Savior. He was broken over the sinfulness of the culture. That's where we should be. That's what our hearts should do. We should cover our faces towards sin. What else are we told to do? We're told to wash our hands, right? Wash our hands. And you know, I heard it said that if you want to make sure you've washed your hands long enough, sing the happy birthday song twice while you're washing your hands. And then by that time, you should have washed your hands well enough. So you sing happy birthday two times, and then you can stop washing your hands, right? We're told to wash our hands. Well, the scripture says that Jesus wants to make for himself a pure spotless bride. And so what does he do? He washes her in the water of the word. The psalmist would say this in Psalm 119 verse 11, I have stored or I have treasured your heart. I've stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Do you feel dirty, disgusting, today? Because maybe you feel that way because you're not allowing yourself to be washed by the word. You're not allowing the word of God to really truly cleanse you and wash over you and to make you feel clean. Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders and he says, you guys like to clean the outside of the cup and vessel, but the inside is full of greed and wickedness. It's not, it doesn't matter that the outside is cleansed. You need to cleanse the inside. You need to take in the word. You need to wash yourself in the word. You need to allow that word to cleanse you, we're told to cover our faces and to wash our hands, and we're told to disinfect stuff. For a while there in the stores, if you went through a store, you couldn't find hand sanitizer, you couldn't find cleaning wipes, you couldn't find Lysol, you couldn't find bleach, because everyone wanted to disinfect all of their surfaces. I don't want any possibility for me to be tainted or for me to get sick with this virus, so I'm going to disinfect everything. Well, what if we disinfected our lives from sin the way we try to disinfect from COVID? What would our lives look like. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. The word tear out there, it means to liberate. It means to set free. Set yourself free from that sin by cutting those things out, by taking those things out of your life that are causing you to sin. If you're struggling with lust, maybe you shouldn't have internet on your phone. Maybe you shouldn't have access to internet in your home. There are things that you can do to cut out the propensity to sinfulness. If you're struggling with alcoholism, don't walk down the alcohol aisle. If you're struggling with overeating, then you need to not go through the drive-thru. You need to not supersize. There are things that you can do to limit those temptations, right? If your eye causes you to sin, liberate yourself by plucking that out. He's not speaking literally here. He's metaphorically saying you need to cut those sins out of your life that are keeping you from the presence of God right? Your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Paul would say this, a little leaven 
leavens the whole lump. Leaven was a picture of sin. And, and even during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Jews will go throughout their homes and they'll get rid of any leaven in the house. And symbolically what they're doing is they're cleansing their homes from sin. Well, what if we treated sin the same way? What if we went throughout our homes and we got all the sinfulness and all of that depravity out of our homes and we cleansed, disinfected our homes of anything that could lead us down the path of sin? So we cover our faces, we wash our hands, we disinfect the surfaces, and we're also told to practice social distancing. Even in the room right now, we had come in and we had lined out chairs because we were hoping that we would be able to open back up July 26th. And so we have chairs that are separated six feet apart from one another. And we went from almost 800 chairs in the bottom of our sanctuary, the bottom floor, to only being able to seat 250 people when you social distance right? We're told to keep this distance between people. Will you realize what the scripture says? The scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Some of you are hanging out with people you shouldn't be hanging out with. Some of you are being dragged down back into the pit because you refuse to cut ties with people you should have cut ties with long ago. The scripture says you be holy as God is holy. You be set apart. You separate yourselves. You make yourselves holy and useful to God, even as God is holy, right? Are you really doing that in your lives? Are you separating yourselves from those influences that are destroying you and tearing you down, right? So we cover our faces. We wash our hands. We disinfect the surfaces. We practice social distancing. And the fifth thing we do is the world right now is seeking desperately for a vaccination, a cure, so much so that celebrities are doing advertisements pleading with people who have survived the virus to go and to give blood because they're believing that the antibodies within those who have survived the virus might hold the key, might hold the solution, the cure that will be able to be vaccinated and offered to the masses, right? You realize that you have the cure? Church, you have the cure and it is the blood. It's the blood of Jesus. 1 John chapter 1 says this, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus' blood cleanses from all sin. Jesus said this of his own blood, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said at the Last Supper, when he was instituting communion for the very first time, This is the blood of the covenant that I pour out for the forgiveness of of sins. You have the vaccine. You have access to the vaccine. And how terrible is it if you don't share what that vaccination is to a dying, desperate world that is suffering from the disease of sin? You have the vaccine and you're not telling people what it is. How would you feel if someone came and, and they developed a vaccination for COVID and they didn't share that vaccination with the rest of the world? How selfish would that be? And yet you, church, do that day in and day out when you choose not to share the truth of the gospel with someone who needs to be set free, someone who needs healing. So your first point there this morning is the danger that there is an infection. We've all been infected. We're all suffering from this disease together. It's this disease of sin, which leads us to our second point, and it's the need for proper representation. Verse 14 with me one more time. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. The word type means a prefigure. It means a hint. It's a foreshadowing of someone that is to come. And again, if we're talking about federal headship, this idea that Adam represented all of man, 
the great news, the good news of the gospel is that Adam was not our only representative because God sent another representative. God sent a second Adam to come and to represent us. And this second Adam, Jesus the Christ, did not fail. He gained victory over sin and death when he rose from the grave. And that is the one that we need to make sure is representing us today. That's the proper representation. So what Paul is going to do here is he's going to set the table for us through what in Bible terms, in Bible theological terms, is called contrastive parallelism. He's going to contrast the works and the deeds of Adam with the works and the deeds of Christ in order to prove to you how Christ is far superior to Adam. How the second Adam, the second representative, our second federal headship representative is far superior to the first. So let's read together, beginning in verse 15. And as we read through this, I'm going to point out these contrasts. Now, before we get to that, if you're taking notes, you have to write this down. The Bible is filled with cases of contrasts. We have two men that are contrasted, the first Adam and the second Adam. We have two trees that are contrasted, the tree of knowledge in the garden, and then you have the tree, the cross of Calvary that Jesus hung upon. You have two gardens that are contrasted, the Garden of Eden, where man fell, and the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus came out victorious over temptation. You have two acts. You have the the partaking of the forbidden fruit, and you have the sacrifice of the cross. You have two results, the result that one led to life and one led to death. The Bible is filled with these contrasts all throughout Scripture. So let's read these contrasts together. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Pause there for a moment. The first contrast is between a gift and a trespass. The word trespass means to step over the line. You cross a line somewhere, right? And in this case, Adam crossed the line and he took something that he shouldn't have taken. Now, what Paul is doing is he's contrasting that with the work of Jesus. And the work of Jesus is not a trespass that crosses a line and takes something that we shouldn't take. The work of Jesus crosses a line and brings us a gift that we don't deserve, gives us something rather than us having to take something. Isn't that a beautiful contrast? Right? So again, verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment that followed the one trespass brought condemnation. Here's your next contrast. The one man's trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses, following many of our sins, brought justification. So again, contrasting the work of Adam and Christ. Adam's work brought condemnation, guilt. You're declared guilty, not worthy, not adequate, not enough. But the work of Christ declares you justified. Justification declares you innocent. You've been acquitted on all charges. What an amazing contrast, right? So read on with me following the same train of thought, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Verse 17, for if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Again, a contrast, death or life, right? And you have a choice today between death and life. And that choice is completely yours and yours alone. I can't make that choice for you. You have to make that of your own accord. So will you choose to follow the work of Adam, which leads to death? Or will you choose to follow the work of Christ, which leads to life? Read on with me. Look at this verse 18. It says, therefore, as one trespass, 
speaking of the sin in the garden. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, speaking of the sacrifice of Jesus, one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Think about this just for a moment, because this blows my mind. Yes, Adam fell into sin, but look at what Jesus does. He comes in by one act, one act, his sacrifice, it leads to life for all. Sometimes I think we view the cross as something that happened to Jesus, that he walked into it, that he wasn't aware of what was going to happen. Do you realize that Jesus understood that he came to die for the sins of the world and he went to the cross anyway? In the garden, when he pled, Father, let this cup pass from me, that cup, he could have very easily gotten up and walked away, but he didn't. He came out of that garden. He drank of that cup, the cup of the wrath of God, and he went to that cross. He showed up for you. It was an act of righteousness. He decided to do that. It didn't just happen to him. He chose the cross because you were that important to him. Through one man's act of righteousness, it led to justification in life for all men. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, here's another contrast, by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. So contrast between disobedience, the word disobedient means to ignore when someone is speaking. The word obedience means to comply or to surrender. Jesus surrendered to the Father's will upon the cross. He willingly gave himself up. On the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up his spirit. He surrendered what he had to the Father's plan there on the cross. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 5. In the days of his flesh, this is speaking of the Garden of Gethsemane. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. God heard him, but he obeyed even to the point of death, the death of a cross. What a beautiful thought that Jesus surrendered to the Father's will. He obeyed the Father, even though the Father's will for him was to go and to suffer and to die. The contrast. Now, there's a choice that you're going to be posed with this morning. And this is the last point if you're taking notes. There's a burden of decision that each of you have to make right now in this moment. Because you're either going to find yourself in Adam or you're going to find yourself in Christ. You're going to be clumped with Adam or you're going to be clumped with Christ. You're either going to be in death or in life. Disobedience or obedience, condemnation or justification. You have to choose one or the other. You cannot be both. It is impossible for you to live in both. You can't live with one foot in and one foot out. Jesus actually said, You either gather with me or you scatter abroad. You're either for me or against me. That's the only choice. So, with that choice today, what will you choose? Listen to what the scripture says, and we'll wrap this up here. It says in verse 20 Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. The law came to reveal your sin, but where sin increased, even as sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You cannot out-sin God's grace. If you're suffering this morning from guilt, from shame, from burdens from long ago, you need to hear this morning that you've been set free, that God's grace is bigger than your sin, and you no longer have to suffer in that shame and in that guilt and in that sin today. You've been set free. No matter how big you think that sin is, God's grace is bigger. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. See, the beautiful thing about 
this contrast is that Jesus didn't just come to reverse the effects of the fall of Adam in the garden. Jesus came and he, yes, he did reverse them, but he made it so much better. You see, in the garden, God dwelt with man in the garden, but now when we're in Christ, not only are we dwelling with God, but now God dwells in us. That's like another level. That's another layer. That's the spirit-filled life. We're not just in the garden enjoying God's presence. Now we have God's presence dwelling within us. That is what it means to abound. Jesus came, said, I came that they might have life more abundantly. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. His plan is sin. His plan is death. He wants to wreak destruction. He wants racism. He wants COVID. He wants poverty. He wants pollution. But Jesus came to bring life more abundantly, overflowing, superabundance, that word means. And that's your choice today. Will you choose the life that Jesus offers, or will you choose the death that was earned in Adam? Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977